a little bit more in Revelation 14 to wrap up this chapter. Um, what we were talking about here, I'm going to maybe back up just a little bit to give our context. In verse 17, then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, and her grapes, for her grapes, are fully ripe. And so I'm going to kind of look at some verses that are talking about this same thing, the, the, the day of the Lord here, where the harvest is taking place, the grape harvest. It says here in Joel 3, 12 through 16, Let the nations be roused, let them advance in the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Notice where this is at. He says, let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. I'm going to show you in great detail that valley here in a little bit. He says, there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. There's going to be a judgment day for those people who are going to be brought before him. I find it interesting, they're not allowed to be in Jerusalem. They, judgment's going to take place outside of Jerusalem. Just like judgment on Jesus was brought outside of the city. That place is holy, and God is going to keep it that way. It says, swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes. Almost seems like I just went back to read Revelation there, doesn't it? For the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. Last week we talked about there were two harvests that we see here in chapter 14, a grain harvest and a grape harvest. I'm telling you, the grape harvest is not the believers. These are unbelievers for sure. This is the wine press of God's wrath, his fury. All of the evils of this world, the things that frustrate us, the things that we wonder, where is God? Oh, he's there. He's seeing. And he is going to answer those prayers of how long, O oh Lord, until you come and avenge our blood. Aaron, you just shared today in Minnesota passing a bill that they can kill babies up to, you know, birth. And it's like, you know, they're not getting away with this. They think they are, but they're not. People who support that would be well to consider these verses. So great is their wickedness, it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. I find it interesting as well that it's called the valley of decision. Because everybody has a choice. I am not one of those who believes that God has created some people with the intention and purpose and, and basically making them go to hell. I believe God has given everybody a choice. And that's why I think it's called the valley of decision, because it's not God that put them there. It's themselves that put them here. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened, and the stars no longer shine. 
The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. We see right after this valley of decision, the sun and moon are going to be darkened, the sky is going to tremble. Well, you're going to see coming up in Revelation when the bowls are poured out, the bowls of judgment, the sun and moon will be darkened, the sky is going to roll up like a scroll. There will be no place for it anymore. I believe Joel is talking about these days we're reading about here in Revelation. So in verse 19, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. It threw it and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. And blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. So a horse's bridle, blood. There's a couple of ways you can look at this. Most often people will say, man, I cannot imagine blood that deep. A horse's bridle is about four foot roughly. You know, it depends on the horse. But about four foot deep of blood, if that's how you interpret it. Now, one thing is, is horses may seem a little archaic as well. Who fights battles on horses anymore? See, this was written a long time ago. It was made up. It really it doesn't matter. No, that's not necessarily the case. If this is truly literal... I believe it is in this sense. Some have proposed that, you know, our country spends billions, trillions actually, of dollars, I think it is, at least billions, in cybersecurity. Because our warfare today is completely bound up with technology. And so an EMP or something like that that would wipe out technology would mean your missiles, you know, guided, your missile, guided missile systems and all of those things, they're not going to work anymore. All the technologies that we rely on, your radios and communication, that they say it could go back to an archaic way of fighting. While that could be true in a very literal sense, I don't necessarily think that's the, the, the main goal here, but something to think about nonetheless. Another idea is that the horse Jesus and his followers are coming on are the horses that are being talked about here. And I think that's the case. Because we're going to see in Revelation 19, Jesus is coming riding on a white horse. Remember, Satan mimicked that back in the first seal that was opened. Now we see this writer, the Holy One, coming. And it says all of his holy ones are coming with him. That's why I have this cover here. This, this is the cover that I have on my book on Revelation. Uh, a guy in Minnesota drew this, and I called him to get permission to put it on there because it just, I thought, wow. It is such a, a powerful picture to me that the Lord's riding on this horse. And as the Bible tells us, there is no swords flashing back and forth and we're not out there trying to kill people to make, you know, get revenge or avenge. Jesus says, it is mine to avenge. And that's why the scripture says that it's the sword that proceeds out of his mouth that does the, brings the wrath. 
And he, they're destroyed by that. The Word of God is powerful enough to destroy for him to say it, it'll happen. And so I take it that these are the horses that are being talked about. Not an archaic warfare as much as it is Jesus and his followers coming behind him. Well, I really like this picture until I don't know if it was my wife pointed out. What? There are no reins on the horses. A little side note here. They're kind of maybe hard to see, but they're all sitting there like this. <laughs> so. Very reminiscent of the coconut with the Monty Python. Yes, it is. Um, but anyway... We're going to see that these people, this harvest that's going on, God is gathering people to this valley of decision, to the valley of Jezreel, to the, the Armageddon battle. Armageddon literally is kind of like the hill of Megiddo. Uh, for Arma, for hill, and Megiddo. We're going to talk about that coming up. So this blood... Splattering, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but maybe it isn't four feet deep, but that the blood is splattered to the height of the bridle. That the blood is all over. Because let's look at some scripture here in Isaiah 63, verses 3 through 4. I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments. And I stained all my clothing, for the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redemption has come. Almost seems to perhaps indicate that it's a blood spattering all the way up to the horse's bridle. Jumping ahead to Revelation 19, as I said, what kills these people, these ungodly, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. We know that Hebrews 4.12 tells us what this sword is. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, sharp enough to penetrate between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It says he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. So no question what we're seeing here is a judgment in the wrath of the ungodly. And I take it here that this is in very much a physical sense. This is not Judgment Day. Judgment Day is not going to happen till later. This is earthly punishment. These people are going to writhe in pain, a foretaste of what eternity will be for them, experiencing the wrath of God. You don't think it's worth following the Lord? Now in this life, consider what your future is, if that's the case. In verse 19 here of Revelation 14, it says, So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trampled outside of the city. The blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs again. I want to retouch on this again because of maybe the literal sense. 
I'll get to that in one second, but first let's read Joel 3, 2. Gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the valley of decision, the same thing. There I will enter into judgment against them. So we're going to look at this valley here in a moment. But what would it take? Is it even physically possible for that to be literal? We looked at this in our post-Bible study discussions here not too many months ago. But this valley of Jezreel, or the valley of Jehoshaphat, or this valley of decision, they're all the same thing. It's going to run along Mount Carmel past Megiddo. I'm going to show you some pictures in a moment. And right now it is a very fertile valley. Jezreel means like God who plants. And it is a very fertile place. Well, if we take a preterist stand on these verses, how in 70 AD did this get fulfilled? Well, they will tell us that Josephus actually records that so many people were killed, the bloodshed in Jerusalem was so great that it put out small fires as it ran down the streets. I mean, that's history recording that. Now, I don't think that's the Valley of Jezreel or the Valley of Decision in Jerusalem, but nonetheless, that is what Josephus records, and that is how the preterists often interpret this verse. Um, I suppose that if it's splattering up to the horse's bridle, which is also some of the recordings of the blood splattering, then that too could be fulfilled in 70 AD. But if it's more on a literal sense, there's no way that that has happened, for sure. This Jezreel Valley is about 180 miles long, north to south and about 25 miles wide, depending on where you're at. Sometimes much less than that. So, 180 miles, 25 miles wide, four foot deep of blood, is that even possible? Well, an average human has about one to one and a half gallons of blood. An Olympic pool, which is 50 yards long by 25 yards by 6 feet deep, has 660,000 gallons. Okay? With 7 billion people on Earth, okay, we are past that. But with 7 billion people, I, you know, broad is the way to destruction. Most people will go to hell. That's what Scripture says. That's what my experience seems to confirm as well. With 7 billion people on earth, you take that, that gives you 10.5 billion gallons of blood. That's 2,272.7 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's 113,635 yards or 64 miles long at 25 yards wide and six feet deep. That is a lot of blood. Did he do his math right, Bobby? Yeah, she was working on it. <laughs> of course she was. Yeah, 
Well, check it out. So, what's fascinating about that to me is it could be literally possible. Now, I don't think that's what it is. But it's interesting to think that you could literally have blood flowing that much if you put everybody in one spot. It, depending on the verses, you'll see the Valley of Jehoshaphat, you see the Valley of Jezreel, or you see the Valley of Decision. And it's all the same thing, which I'm going to show you. Okay, it's not right here. Because of connection, connecting the other verses that clearly are talking about what is Re, uh, Revelation is saying, seems to be the same thing. I think, I think, first of all, it's just distinguishing that this is a grape harvest or a vine or a fruit harvest, which is significant because that is, how is a tree judged? By its fruit. The church today wants to tell us that no, we're judged by just whether you say a prayer or not, or whether you say you believe in Jesus or not, but yet the devil believes in Jesus and shudders and is going to be in hell. I'm not saying works save you, as you know, but what I am saying is that works go along with faith. If you don't have works, you don't have faith, that's how you will be judged by your fruit. So I think the vine and the fruit are just kind of pointing to that, unless it is also an aspect of the entirety, you know. But I think it's the fruit is what you produce, and the vine is what produces it. So you might say... You are the vine, and the fruit are your works. In some senses, I think that makes sense, because on the other hand of Christ, okay, it says that he is the vine, and we're the branches that have the fruit, but it's the sap, him, that gives us our fruit. Verse 13, jumping ahead to chapter 19, just to give you some of the same context Remember I said chapter 14 is kind of an outline view of this. You get more of it filled in later. It says, He was clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with... It he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads a winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So what we are reading here in 14, you're getting a few extra details here in chapter 19, but it's the same event going on. The wrath of God the wine press, the sword doing the destroying. And he is king of kings. We have all of these people in the global, the global elites who think that they're in control and running the world, running their countries. They're not. God is king of all those kings. He is Lord of all those lords who think that they're trying to make us servants. So they have no power. They just think they do. As we've talked many times about Haman. Haman thought things were going his direction. 
but he was only building gallows to be destroyed himself. I'm going to show you a couple of other verses that are going to talk about this very thing here. I'm going to back up just slightly here. Um, Isaiah 63, Isaiah 34, and Jeremiah 41, verses 13 through 21 are all verses that are talking about this same event as well. So I'm going to look at a couple of those here. Jeremiah 49, a lot of words, but I think it's important to look at all of this in order to get the full story. And so you may want to follow along in your Bible as well, just because it may be hard to see, I don't know. But verse uh, 13 of Jeremiah 49, Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse. I'm going to show you Basra in a minute, but this is in Edom, Esau's area, the Edomites, just a little bit above Petra, all right, where we're going to, those of you going to Israel, that we'll, we're going to be in that area. It says, the pride of your heart, O you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, you'll understand that when you see Petra, who hold the height on, of the hill. Though you may make your nest as high as an eagle, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. All your pride, God's going to just destroy it. Bring it down. He goes on. Edom also shall be an astonishment. Everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at all its plagues. As in... The overflow of Sodom and overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord, no one shall remain there, nor shall a son of man dwell in it. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan. Notice that floodplain of the Jordan, I'm going to show you that, against the dwelling place of the strong. So the Jordan Valley is going to go right down to this dwelling place of the strong, Esau, Ed, uh, the Edom, Edomites. Edom is, it means red, uh, comes from red, and the rocks there are very red, so that's where Esau got his name, and Esau becomes the Edomites. Well, it goes on, but I will suddenly make him run away from her, and who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? Verse 20, therefore hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Edom. Surely he shall make their dwelling places desolate with them. The earth shakes at the noise of their fall. Remember what we just said? The, the earth is going to shake, the sky trembles, everything when this judgment comes. At the cry its noise is heard at the Red Sea. Behold, he shall come up and fly like the eagle and spread his wings over Basra. The heart of the mighty men of Edom in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. They are just going to be fearing. The fear of God is something that we have lost in Christianity. And, you know, when we went through COVID... There were a lot of people who feared COVID more than they feared God. Godly people. People who I believe I will see in heaven. But fear overtook them. 
whether it be COVID or maybe you fear losing a loved one. Maybe your fear is losing a job. Maybe your fear is your finances. Maybe your fear is some other family issue that you've got going on right now. Do you want to be free from fear? Fear God. The irony is this. If you fear God, the fear of the world, even the fear of death, goes away. I believe I loved God when I was just a little kid. As long as I can remember, I remember loving God, knowing He died on the cross for my sins. He had taken away the wrath that I deserved. As long as I can remember. And I remember many times still being afraid to die, though. Even though I wasn't afraid of after being dead, but the fear of dying. It's a process. And I don't know when it happened. And I'm not saying that that couldn't even come back in a situation. But I know this, that I don't live in fear of dying anymore. I don't live in fear of cancer. Certainly not COVID. <laughs> or anything else. I don't fear live in fear of somebody coming and putting a gun to my head. Now, I'm sure you guys can come some, you know, up with some scenario that I'd like, okay, yeah, I don't like that one, okay? <laughs> but nonetheless, the more we fear God in a good way, the less you have fears uh, in this world. Yeah, yeah, kind of. So the more... Or maybe you put it the other way, the less you fear God, the more these things are going to overtake you. These people here that are melting, their hearts melt in fear because they don't have the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding. It's amazing. Isaiah 34 says this, For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench will rise from their corpses. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. It's interesting. The mountains melted with their blood. That sounds like an awful lot of blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. The heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. Again, a consistency with what Joel was saying. The wrath of God comes to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and then the moon and the, the stars and the sun are darkened. The sky trembles. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine. and as, So the stars falling from the sky. And as fruit falling from a fig tree, for my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom and on the people of my curse. For judgment, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. What do you mean the Lord has a sacrifice here in Edom and in Basra? Well, let me tell you, Jesus' sacrifice, you know what that was? That was a replacement for you. 
I mean, what he did is what you deserved. And so if these people don't have the sacrifice of Jesus, do you know what's going to have to pay for their sins? Themselves. In a sense, they are going to be the sacrifice. And their sins will never be taken away because there can only be one sacrifice that takes away sin, not just covers it, and that is a blameless, pure, perfect, spotless sacrifice. And so these people who think that, hey, I'm not a believer, but I'm a good person, and I'm going to go give my life and lay my life down because I'm a Marine or whatever to save people, and I'm a good person because of that. No, you're not. You're not pure, blameless. Your sacrifice won't get you anywhere. Only the sacrifice of Jesus. It goes on in verse 8, For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. The year, there's a certain day, time, hour, that is set aside for this very thing. The year of recompense. Verse 9, its streams shall be turned into pitch, its dust into brimstone, kind of like what we talked about last week with Sodom and Gomorrah. Its land shall be become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. Sodom and Gomorrah today, there are still tar pits, pitch pits that are there. And in some of these wars, like the 1967 or 73 wars, Israel couldn't drive their tanks across this area that's in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah because their tanks would fall in. You know, not to where they're, woo, see you later, bye-bye, but get stuck. And here it's talking, making those connections. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation, it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. Isaiah 63 says this, Who is this who comes from Edom? Notice he's coming from Edom. With dyed garments from Basra. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in wine press? In the wine press? So they're dyed. We were up to this point. We didn't know why, but they said they're dyed red. And it tells us in verse 3, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Last week, I think it was, we talked about the comparison of those in Babylon who get drunk on sin, ultimately. Drink the maddening wine of Babylon. And now he says, you're going to get drunk, all right, but on my fury, your blood. All right, so what I'm going to show you here is the geography of this, because I think it is important to hear. And I am putting together something as well. I don't know when I'm going to do this, but 
in the next year, I'm going to give you a geography lesson of Israel. Because when you read the Bible, one of the reasons I like people going to Israel is because you will not read the Bible the same. Because you picture the things that you are reading. But even after you go to Israel, you're going to come back and you have no idea where you are when you're there. It's kind of like me, you know, yeah, it's like, okay, well, I know I'm in Israel and I know that this is Sapporo, but where is that in relation? And I look at it on a map and that still means nothing. Is it like Nebraska where they have straight roads every mile so you can tell where you are? No, not even close. And so we're going to give you a lesson on this and... I think you're going to really enjoy that because as you read these stories, I'm going to put pictures of these places with the maps, and you read those stories, you're going to be able to picture, oh, when they're hiding to come around and and sack Gibeon, you know, they all come out to attack Israel, but it's all a trap, and then they turn around and the fire is ablaze. That's because they were hiding behind this hill. And you're going to be able to picture that hill. And you're going to be able to picture, you know, the valley. And that's a little bit of what I want you to see here tonight. Now, I'm going to show you Israel. This, this is a satellite photo. And then on the left, it won't show up here, does it? My cursor, no. On the left is going to be just kind of highlighted area of it. I've got a little bit of highlighted on the satellite map here too. But this is the Valley of Jezreel right here, this highlighted area. It kind of looks like an arrowhead with the shaft being back here. Okay, The Sea of Galilee is right up there. Then the Jordan River goes right down. And then you can see... If I kept this map going, which I'll show you in a later picture, that drains into the Dead Sea. So when I talked about the, the Jordan, the plains of Jordan, or the Jordan River, that is going to be this area that comes down underneath the Sea of Galilee. So to find this Jezreel Valley, if you find the Sea of Galilee, which is easy to find, you just go left you're going to see this on the map. And it's a lot greener because it's a valley and it's very fertile. As I said, the Lord plants. And it was named that way. I'll be getting that too. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll give you a pretty good detail of all of this. So I have the one on the left that is showing you the Jezreel Valley here. Now, the arrow shaft is called the Valley of Harad. And one of the things that I'm going to go in greater detail later is show you there's only like four entrances into this Jezreel Valley. There's only so many ways that you can get in there or so many paths. Likewise to Jerusalem, there's only so many ways that you can get to Jerusalem. And Israel is so unique. As an example, Jerusalem is only 14 miles from Jericho, but it is completely different. It's like over 3,000 feet lower elevation, almost 4,000 in 14 miles. So imagine going to Hastings, but you've got to drop almost 4,000 feet. Okay, This is the kind of, and so because of that, Jerusalem will get like 24, up to 24 inches of rain a year. 14 miles away, it's only 4 inches a year. 
up to. It has just the area of Judah has seven different uh, geographical areas, climate and all, whether it be forest or desert to whatever, just, just Judah alone. And so that has caused Israel to be a very unique part of the world. And we'll talk about that later, not tonight, why God chose that place. It's so amazing. I mean, you see God's fingerprints through all of it. Anyway, um, we, we will talk about that before we go to Israel because whether you go or not, you're going to benefit from it. But I think those going will also benefit from just a little study on this. So here it is, just kind of with all of that other stuff removed to see a little bit more. And so I'm going to kind of highlight a few areas. You have the Sea of Galilee and then the Jordan Valley, as I said. Then over here to the left is the Jezreel Valley. It's labeled. Right up above it, in here, this is all going to be Mount Carmel. Okay? Mount Carmel's over there. Or, up here, yeah, I'm right there on this part. There's Mount Carmel. All this is Mount Carmel. This is going to be Moray, um, uh, what is it, uh, Gilboa, Moray, and then Jezreel is here. I'm going to show you some pictures here later. There's so many Bible stories that take place all in here. I mean, you'd be amazed reading Chronicles and Kings, how many stories are here. So yeah, Mount Carmel right here that goes all the way up to the sea. Haifa should be there. This is the Phoenician road. Uh, if you get the, when the Phoenicians would come to get into Israel, they would always come here. And then there's a couple of different passes, but normally this is the pass that they would take then to get to Jezreel is right through here. Then you have the coastal areas. It is going to be right here. Yep. So when you go to Mount Carmel today, it is, I get a little distracted here because I'm trying to show people online with my cursor as well as you guys with my laser pointer here. Um, that's when you go to Mount Carmel, this is where you're at. So when you're, I'm going to show you pictures that you look across and you're going to be able to see Mount Gilboa. You're going to be able to see Mount Moray and Nazareth up there. Does that, did that flood a lot? Because I'm noticing all the settlements are, are around the outside. It does not. It, uh, there are valleys that drain everything, and that's why you cannot really cross. This is like very rugged areas here. So really the only ways to pass are there. They have what are called wadis, and it's not like our rivers or whatever. It is deep, deep canyons, rugged cliffs, all those kinds of things. Um, so the Galilee, you have the lower Galilee. Um, you have the Jordan Valley. You've got Jezreel and Mount Carmel all in here. And that kind of makes up this whole area that is very rugged, you can see with the mountains, so there's only a few paths. This one here, there's a harder one there, and this one here, but the main two are these right here, the Harad Valley, and the, there is a big airstrip somewhere, probably in here. It might even be this right there, possibly. 
Yes, Ron wrecked his plane, his F-15, I think it was. I'm trying to, somewhere, I think, in here. Well, there's a couple of places. We were looking at it from here in Megiddo and also from Mount Carmel there. And from Nazareth. Yes, and Nazareth, you, that's right. Nazareth, remember that really steep hill? Actually, the picture on our flyers is taken from up here looking down in this valley that was just so, so green there. Yes, that is where they wanted to throw him off the cliff. Yep. So, so here is from Mount Carmel, from where I was showing you, and you can see Mount Gilboa, on then the Harad Valley, that's one of the paths to get out of this Valley of Jezreel, and then the Hill of Moreh. And there's so many stories, so I'm just going to kind of show you here the Harad Valley again then. Um, where I went the wrong way. Just thought, what's going on there? Here we go. Um, so Jezreel is here. And then Mount Tabor, just kind of showing you what we saw in the picture. Harad, Moray, Nazareth. And it's right in between here the bottom one coming right out of Jezreel, that is the Harad Valley. What does that mean? Well, as you look at these pictures, I want you to think of some of the things that went on in these stories. Just as a couple of examples, I could give you many. But you might remember Gideon fought the Midianites, right? Well, where was Gideon when all of this was taking place? He was at the base of Moreh. Uh, was that right? I thought he was at, I have more in my notes, but maybe I am thinking right. But anyway, um, if he was at Moray, Mount Gilboa then is where the Midianites had camped. And so he had to go all the way across this valley to meet the Midianites there. Um, at the base of, I want to look at, just make sure I'm telling you that right here. I think I have that backwards. I'll have to double check on that, what it says in Scripture. But I think it was here that Gideon was at Mount Gilboa, not Moria. I think I have it wrong in my notes. Because... He was at the... He got under the oak that was in Ophrah. 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 Okay. That's got a question mark. Yep. And so what he did is he... We don't know for sure, I don't think, where that's at. But in here is En-Harad. That is where Gideon's springs are. And so when he selected his army, or God told him, you know, those that lap like a dog and those that bring the water to their mouth. The ones that brought the water were taken. The ones that lap like a dog were sent home. That took place here. And then it would have been over here that, well, here that the Midianites were. So the northern palace we went to was in Megiddo? Yes, yep. 
And so I'll show you some pictures of that as well. So from this hill of Moray, if you go to the left slightly over here, we have Mount Tabor and then Nazareth right there. And so coming and looking at this picture here one more time, we have Jezreel. And this is hard to do both at the same time. Jezreel, and then Mount Moray. From Moray, we have Nazareth up top. And Mount Tabor is a little bit beyond it. And that's what you're seeing in those pictures. Now, here in the satellite photo, there is something called the Jokthium Pass you can kind of see this big canyon. That is this one right here. The satellite photo there. This is Google Maps and this is satellite on the left. And so that Jokthium Pass, there's two ways to get into the Jezreel Valley on the west side. Either go through Megiddo, the Megiddo Pass down here, or above that, in the black box, the Jokthium Pass. You might recall that Pharaoh, who killed uh, Josiah, went through to Megiddo, and then he was killed. Josiah was killed later, not at Megiddo. I don't remember where it was here. It was on the way somewhere else. Can't see it here, but anyway... Um, Pharaoh had to have taken this route to get there. So just by following the Bible and what it says, you're going to see that it's even right accurately. In this short little thing, I'm not going to do as good of a job of it as we will when we look at all of it. You're going to see, we'll look at Isaiah, and it says what the cities, and you can see that it's, it's accurate. Even the geography is amazing. Um, The Kishon Pass is, there's two different paths. So here are the two that you get into on the west side. Like I said, Megiddo Pass and then the Box of Jokthium Pass. To get out to the sea, you've got the Kishon Pass up here that sporks. And those are the two ways out to the sea. And then on the right side, you had the one that goes to Tabor. You've got the Harad Valley. And then there's a more rough one that would kind of cut across up here. I'm not going to talk about that tonight in the stories that went along. But just to show you that that's about the only ways to get into the Jezreel Valley. Um, the East Gate to Jezreel Valley connects Jezreel to Bashan. So if you take that Harad Valley, it'll get you to Betshion. We went to Betshion. That is where Saul, when he was killed, they hung his body on the city of Betshion, on the walls of that city. So this Harad Valley, we know that Saul was, uh, he went from Jezreel and 
they fought a battle on Mount Gilboa. I don't see where Gilboa is labeled, but it should be here, right? I just can't see it. So there's Gilboa. He dies on Mount Gilboa. And they take his body, the Philistines, hang it on the walls here. And there's some men from Jabesh Gilead, which I believe is going to be over this way, went and stole his body off of the walls of that city. So, keeping that story in mind, we can see here Jezreel. There's Mount Gilboa, not very far away from Jezreel. You see the Harad Valley. And so that's the valley that so many stories go on. Remember Jehu is riding his chariot crazy. They say, who is it? I don't know, but he rides, he's driving crazy like Jehu. When Jehu was coming to take vengeance and kill the prophets of Baal, and then he will eventually kill um, Jezebel in a city here in Jezreel. But... Imagine standing there looking down this valley, seeing some guy, I don't know what, how you drive a chariot crazy if he was doing, you know, <laughs> drifting or what he was doing. But you can see this picture here as well. This is the Jordan Valley, the Rift Valley. And then beyond that, there's some hills of Gilead. And so this isn't that big of an area. And you can see all of this from one spot. So, so many of the Bible stories that you're reading are going on in this valley. And I think there's a reason for that. Why in this valley? Um, here we see... Same... I think that's the same picture, but I just show it on the satellite map here. And... This would be the Midianites, Herod Spring, right there, which is where Gideon had his men selected, kind of at the base of Mount Gilboa. And he went over, he attacked the Midianites. The Midianites were so scared, they didn't know what to do. Well, they fled this way, and it says that they fled down, I think, to, the Bible mentions the town, so we know they had to go to the right down that valley. It's the only path that they could have taken. And so they fled down that, that passageway. Here we see kind of the same picture as well. Um, I kind of mentioned it before, but when Saul was killed, then they took his body and hung it on Bet-Sheon there is what I think I have this up here for. My notes disappeared, so I don't know exactly why I'm showing you that, but I think that's why. Um, here is Bet-Sheon, the city that they hung his body on. He would have been hung on this city right here. That hill is right here. So this is looking from the south, this is looking from the north, but this hill is the ancient Tell. There's actually 27 different civilizations in that hill. And you go down below here, this is kind of was a Roman um, city at the time of, of Christ. I mean, it was 
it, very well preserved. Uh, earthquake destroyed it, but what's that? So you, can sit on their you can even sit on their toilets there, yeah. So uh, they're outdoor toilets. So that's where Bet Shean is, where they hung his body, which basically is just going down that Harad Valley, the one that you could see. Um, we also see Ahab taking place here near Jezreel. Remember Naboth's vineyard? Uh, he stole or basically murdered Naboth to get his vineyard. And then right after that, he talks to Jehoshaphat and gets Jehoshaphat to go up and fight the Arameans, I think it was. And so they would have gone through that same valley. Ahab is killed at Ramoth Gilead. And then Jehoshaphat uh, goes back home as well. So look at this place one more time. That is all going on in this valley. Now keep in mind, you can see the Gilead area there, the Jordan Valley. So we're not talking back here where I have Jehu rode his chariot wildly. Where those words are, that's way too far. All of these stories are happening right in here. Not very big of an area. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, isn't that interesting? Midian. When Gideon killed Midian and they all flee, it's in this Jezreel Valley. Okay, and it goes down to the Jordan Valley. The Jordan Valley goes all the way down to the Red Sea. The very place that in all these verses that we've been reading tonight is saying the Armageddon battle is supposed to take place. We see not only Gideon, but judgment being placed on Baal and the prophets of Baal. All where? In this area. The, that uh, Elijah had them all killed. Jezebel, Ahab, other ungodly kings, pictures of the Antichrist, pictures of the devil, you might say, are all killed. Where? In this valley of Jezreel. Sometimes I think we read the Bible and we think, most of this is all centered around Jerusalem. It's not. In the time of these kings and Saul, all the way up to the time of David, we're seeing, and even after David too, but so much is going on right here. You're going to see why the towns are where they are because these entrances, you've got to have fortified cities to protect them. Okay, But we won't talk about that tonight. The reason I'm bringing this up is I want you to see the valley of Jezreel and see that there are so many stories and every one of them seem to have this judgment where God seems to be the one that fights them. Another one that takes place here is Jehoshaphat. Well, I think that's going to be down on this other one, but Jehoshaphat goes and sends out his singers and God is the one that fights the battle. Okay, But it's still going to be kind of down in the same area. Because this little arrowhead isn't the only part where we're reading about in Revelation and in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. It covers the whole 180-mile section. So here is a map showing you this entire 
valley that scriptures talk about. Here is our arrow up by Nazareth and Megiddo. There's the Harad Valley, the shaft of the arrow. The Armageddon battle is taking place not just in this spot, but the blood is supposed to go all the way from Basra, which is up here somewhere. Petra, which is also in Edom, is like down here. And so that blood is supposed to go all the way through the Harad Valley, down the Jordan Valley, along the side of the Dead Sea, all the way down to Edom. And this is where you're going to see so many battles of God and pictures of judgment taking place. I think that that's one of the reasons these stories are told in the Old Testament. Not just so that you can have a cool story to read to your kids and freak them out before they go to bed. <laughs> but for you to see, this is a picture of judgment. The ungodly are not going to escape. They are going to perish in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of Jezreel, the valley of decision. And as we were reading in Isaiah and Jeremiah, it talks about the Lord comes from Basra. He's coming from this area. And goes all the way up into the area of Megiddo. So here's a map that shows you Basra, where it's at here. The Dead Sea, I guess... Dead Sea is there, and then at the base. Now, right now, the Dead Sea is pretty empty compared to what it used to be. But, yeah, no. There's Bozra, and, Bozra, and there's Petra. So, think about that. Um, judgment, we always think of, oh, this. everybody goes to Megiddo, and they all look and go, oh, the, right out here, this is where the final battle is going to take place. Not very big. Too big for a 200 million man army, I think, or too small for a 200 million man army. There is going to be wrath and destruction that is going all throughout the land from the Dead Sea all the way up to the Jezreel Valley. So Israel, before the, uh, uh, the conquest of uh, Assyria, and in its heyday, how big in terms of well, it actually went just about everything you see here. Very rarely did they ever have control of the coastal area here. Most often that was controlled by Phoenicia and other places. There's going to be like this ridge area here. Most of what you read scripturally takes place right in here from here on up probably. Dan is up here north too, so probably all along in here. But there's called the, the Road of the Patriarchs or the Patriarch Road or something like that it's called. And it goes pretty much on Shechem, all of these, all the way down to Beersheba. And so Abraham grew up, you know, down uh, when he went to Beersheba. Not, he grew up up in Ur, but after he left and came into the Promised Land, he was out in the Negev most of his life, out in the desert areas. And then this is kind of the King's, or not the King's Highway, but the uh, Patriarch's Highway. 
when I do some of the other things, you're going to see that there are four main areas. You can see them here on this map. One, two, three, and four. The, the King's Highway is going to be over here. We'll actually drive on that. When we go to Petra, you'll be on the King's Highway. And so today, most of the modern roads we have in Israel are following the same biblical paths. From the road to Jericho, you can look across the valley and you see the old Roman road that they would go on. It was telling Tim it takes about seven to eight hours to walk it to get from Jericho to Jerusalem. And uh, the valleys, as I show you pictures later when this is more detailed, you will see how deep they are. It is not something that you just, it would be very difficult where you're climbing up cliffs and having to cross water that can be flowing very quickly. So there were only so many ways that you could get places. And that's why when you read in scripture, when the Assyrians are coming or whatever, it talks about these towns and you go, oh yeah, I know what path they had to take because it's the only way to get there. So it's kind of cool. All right, well, that's your geography lesson for the night. I think we're going to stop there, but I just wanted you to see. A, we have a baby. It's a girl. Annalise Faith. All right. Edit this out. All right. Edit this out. She wants the child to decide. Next week we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5 and some church discipline. Yeah. Let's pray. Um, by the way, What's that? The cord was wrapped around. It was? Good. So everybody's doing okay? I think so, yeah. Okay. So far, so good. I haven't heard anything Good. We're going to talk about the rapture next. Uh, next time I teach, it'll be on the rapture because we have to look at that in regards to this and a Jewish understanding of it. And I think for many of you, it will be a new thing, if, unless I've mentioned it before, I think, but... Um, at least you'll get the scriptural backing for it. So we'll close in prayer.